Chapter 12 of Marjorie Dean, High School Freshman by Pauline Lester. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ashley Jane. Chapter 12 On the Firing Line. Introductions followed thick and fast. More than one pair of boyish eyes had been centred approvingly on the girls that Macy was rushing and he was soon beside with gentle reminders not to be stingy but to give someone else a chance when the enlivening strains of a popular dance began hal macy pointed significantly to his name on marjorie's card she nodded happily then glanced quickly about to see if constance had a partner surely enough she was just about to dance off with a rather tall slender lad whose dark sensitive face heavy-browed black-lashed eyes of intense blue and straight-lipped sensitive mouth caused her to say impulsively oh who is that nice-looking boy dancing with constance hal glanced after the two graceful gliding figures that's lawrence armitage He's one of the best fellows in school, and my chum. You ought to hear him play on the violin. He's going to Europe to study when he finishes high school. How interesting, commented Marjorie as they joined the dancers. Then, as Mignon LaSalle, wearing an elaborate apricot satin frock, flashed by them on the arm of a rather stout boy with a disagreeable face, Marjorie suddenly remembered the existence of Mignon, Muriel, and Susan. Her eyes began an eager search for the picture girl. Muriel was sure to look pretty in evening dress. Mignon's frock made her look older, she decided. She soon spied Muriel, whose gown of white lace was vastly becoming. So was Susan Atwell's dress of old rose and silver. She wondered a trifle wickedly if they had not been surprised to see Constance blossom out in such brave attire. Then she put the thought aside as unworthy and determined to remember only the good time she was having. After each dance the four friends managed to meet and compare notes before they were off again with their next partners and as the party progressed it became noticeable that there were no wallflowers in that particular group what do you think of that stevens girl tonight mignon inquired susan atwell as she and the french girl stood together for a moment between dances mignon's elfish eyes gleamed angrily i think such beggars as she ought never to be allowed to come to our parties Goodness knows where she borrowed that dress. Perhaps she didn't borrow it. She raised her shoulders significantly. If Laurie Armitage knew what a low, disreputable family she has, I don't think he'd waste his time with her. Did Laurie ask you to dance tonight? Asked Susan inquisitively. But with a muttered, I want to speak to Marcia. Mignon flounced off without answering Susan's question, and the latter confided to Muriel afterward that Mignon was mad as anything because Laurie hadn't noticed her, but was trailing about after Miss Nobody Stevens. 
Completely unaware that she was adding to the French girl's list of grievances, Constance had danced to her heart's content, quite positive in her own mind that she had never met a more delightful boy than Lawrence Armitage, and that never before had she so greatly enjoyed herself. And now the wonderful party was almost over. She examined her card to see with whom she had the next dance. Then her glance straying down, she noticed that a bit of the tiny plaiting at the bottom of her chiffon skirt had become loose and was hanging. Fearful of a fall, she hurried toward the dressing room. She would have the maid take a stitch or two in it. But the maid was not in the room. A solitary figure in an apricot gown stood before the mirror, lingered for a moment after Constance entered, then glided noiselessly out. Envincing no sign of having seen Mignon, Constance began a diligent hunt for a needle and thread. Failing to find them, she fastened the loose bit of plaiting with a pin and hurried out into the gymnasium. Her next dance was with Lawrence Armitage. She must not miss it. To her surprise, Mignon re-entered the dressing-room as she left it. Constance quickly made her way toward the corner which her friends had selected as their headquarters. "'I tore the plaiting of my dress,' she said ruefully to Marjorie. "'I couldn't find the maid or a needle, so I had to pin it. "'I'm awfully sorry. I don't know how it happened.' "'That's nothing,' returned Marjorie cheerfully. I have a great long tear in my sleeve. Someone caught hold of it in Paul Jones, and away it went. Don't look so guilty over a little thing like that. You don't, began Constance, but she never finished. A tense little figure clad in apricot satin confronted her, crying out in tones too plainly audible to those standing near. Where is my bracelet? "'What have you done with it?' Constance stared at her accuser in stupefied amazement. Her friends, too, were for the moment speechless. "'Answer me,' commanded Mignon. "'I left it on the table in the dressing-room. "'You were the only one in there at the time. "'When I remembered and came back for it, "'you were just leaving, but the bracelet was gone.' No one else except you could have taken it. Still, Constance continued to stare in horror at the French girl. She tried to speak, but the words would not come. Attracted by Mignon's shrill tones, the dancers began to gather about the two girls. It was Marjorie who came to her friend's defence. Even as a wee girl, Marjorie Dean had possessed a temper. It was not an ordinary temper. It was not easily aroused, but when once awakened, it shook her small body with intense fury, and the object of her rage was likely to remember her outburst for ever after. Knowing it to be her greatest fault, she had striven diligently to conquer it, and it burst forth only at rare intervals. Tonight, however, the French girl's heartless denunciation of Constance during a moment of happiness was too monstrous to be borne. In a voice shaking with indignation, she turned to those surrounding her and said, 
"'Will you please go on dancing? "'I have something to say to Miss LaSalle.' "'They scattered as if by magic, "'leaving Marjorie facing Mignon, "'her arm about Constance, "'her face a white mask, "'her eyes flaming with scorn. "'Then she began in low, even tones. "'I forbid you to say another word "'either to or about my friend Constance Stevens.' She has not taken your bracelet. She knows nothing about it. I will answer for her as I would for myself. You have accused her of this because you wish to disgrace her in the eyes of her friends and schoolmates. I am not at all sure that you have lost it, but I am very sure that Miss Stevens hasn't seen it. And now I hope I shall never be called upon to speak to you again for you are the cruelest, most contemptible girl I have ever known. But if I ever hear anything further of this, I will take you to Miss Archer, to the Board of Education if necessary, and make you retract every word. Come on, Constance. With her arms still encircling the now weeping girl, Marjorie made her way to the dressing room. Jerry followed her within the next five minutes. The car's here she announced briefly. Hal and Laurie and the crane are going home with us. Don't you cry, Constance, she soothed, patting the curly golden head. Mignon made a goose of herself tonight. The boys are all disgusted, and everyone knows she was making a fuss over nothing. You did exactly right too, Marjorie, when you sent us all about our business. I'm sorry it happened. But you remember what I tell you. Mignon has hurt herself a great deal more than she has hurt you. End of chapter 12 Recording by Ashley Jane